Yeah. It's above the break. Episode 52. That's right. We made it to 52. And if you know how many weeks there are in a year, that means we've been going at least a year. Because, you know, sometimes it takes us longer than a week to make these things. This episode I titled, and I'm proud of it. Playoff pardon for Harden at the Garden and Rocky <laughs> Mountain Rock Fight. All right. As always, this is Nevin Brown. I'm joined by James Piercy. So what do you think of the playoff pardon for Harden at the Garden? Because yes, it very man. much it very much was the playoff pardon because um well going into the game, the the narrative was, oh, you're counting on James Harden in the playoffs. Your season is over. <laughs> yeah, so Harden said Oh, contraire, en français. Yeah, that um, that reporter was like laughing and laughing about it with Max Kellerman. I don't know. I can't remember that guy's name. Nick Friedel. Found... He's got a great voice, actually. Like, he should do radio. Great voice. Yeah, he's got a good radio voice, but I found that extremely annoying. It was obvious that he was like pretending to laugh. It was very passive aggressive to me. I found it very annoying. It really got under my skin, actually. Yeah, so. Who do you think you are, man? I do find it this I, I messaged you this uh last night after you uh had gone to bed. Um but the the Rockets fans in my fucking Twitter were just going off like celebrating James Harden's performance as if like the Rockets had won something. As if he was a rocket, you know, <laughs> know. for that matter. Yeah. I, and I it's, know. One the, it's one of those things where I'm like like I I don't understand the like like I understand loving James Harden as a Rockets fan. But, like, it just tells you how bad the past three years have been that the guy who showed up fat and out of shape so he could force a trade from your franchise, having success someplace else for another franchise, you're taking victory laps over. It's like, damn, shit has not gone well. (laughs) I think it speaks to the player empowerment era a little bit in the sense of, like, everybody's always moving teams these days, and Harden actually did stick with the Rockets for a long time, so there's that sense of loyalty. But, so... Like, we've never really seen this before, where, like, usually a guy either spent their whole career with a team or ended up being a mercenary. Harden sort of spent most of his prime with the team and then became a mercenary. It's a little bit unique, you know? A little bit of, a, little bit of a sign of the times, I think. He's got yeah. Rockets fans in a, in a stranglehold, an emotional stranglehold. It is weird. I don't get it. It's like, it, and, like, they're all like, we got to bring this dude back and let's trade for Jalen Brown. I'm like, I mean, okay, guys, like, I can tell you this right now. That team is not going to win a championship. No. Like, so do you really want to, like, give up a lot of picks and a lot, some of your good young players and be extremely expensive to, you know, make the playoffs, but probably not do much once you get there? Because, I mean, as great as Harden was in this game, and we'll talk about that more, I, I don't know if he's scoring 35 points in any game for the rest of this series, right? Like it was, it was awesome, but we'll see, right? Like he had a ton of rest going into this game and what we've seen with him, even in his physical prime was he does wear down over the course of a playoff series. Um, so, yeah. So let's move into the segment of the show where we do, we move towards talking about that. Okay. 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 So I'm going to do a quick rundown of the news cause we've been gone for a little bit and there's been a lot of playoff stuff. There's been a lot of team stuff, but like, we're just not going to get into that because fuck it. Um, we're going to talk about the games that happened last night, Philly v. Boston and Denver v. Phoenix. Because those series, I don't know about you, James, I think those are the two best series 
oh yeah currently going i know a lot of people are like lankers lankers golden state i'm like okay like the fucking six seed and the seven seed right like those teams they advanced probably like, one of the best six seven series of all time and, and i like that series too seven series have there actually been though? yeah right exactly i like that series too but yeah no these would be the two best for me as well yeah like a team these are the four teams i think out of the one a champion of this year's champion i think is going to be one of these four teams um and let me tell you what i think yeah. i think it's gonna be one of these two teams, uh, Boston or Philly. To me, it's the unofficial NBA championship right now. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, unless you know, unless Embiid really is hurt and Boston keeps yeah. playing with their meat. Okay, yeah. news rundown: the Warriors beat the Sacramento Kings in seven games. Steph goes off for a magnificent fifty piece, but De'Aaron Fox plays most of the back half of the series with a broken left index finger and if you don't know this he's left-handed so that sounds hard to shoot james quick reaction to that series i think you picked the warriors i wanted the kings to win but whatever yeah i picked the warriors in seven uh i thought that sabonis would get exploited by golden state it kind of went that way and it kind of didn't go that way exactly the way i thought it would it was interesting uh I think, in my opinion, it still basically went that way. But if if not for Fox's broken hand, who who's to say though? At the same time, yeah, that series was fucking weird. Neither team could hit threes really, and Sacramento shot so poorly from three point range over the course of the series that it felt like to me, if like they had just been a little bit better, they probably walk out of, with that series victory. And I don't know if that was did the Warriors play good defense? Sure, but you watch that series. Kings missed a lot of good looks, and at the end of the day. If you miss good looks in the playoffs, you're going home. You're right. going home. You're going back to Sacramento, or probably not because you're an NBA player and you probably live someplace way cooler in the yeah. offseason. All right. The Los Angeles Lakers topped the Memphis Grizzlies in six games. And Dylan Brooks said, I poke bears, and then they eat me, apparently. Um, because not only did LeBron kick his ass, the Grizzlies now have no interest, apparently, in retaining Dylan Brooks. Which is hilarious, James. This series was a surprise to me. I thought the Grizzlies were better. I was concerned because Stephen Adams is really, really important to that team. People never give him enough credit. If people talk about how important Kevon Looney is to the Warriors, it's like times three with Stephen Adams for uh, the Grizzlies. He's a super important player. He doesn't put up the type of sexy stats people like, but he's a really, really, really good guy to have. And he fit what they wanted to do, and they didn't have him, which hurt. James, make fun of Dylan Brooks for me though, because you're Canadian. He's Canadian. It's it's less offensive because you're from the same. You're not from the same province, but you you know you're you're from the oh, same country. I lived in the province that he's from. I okay, think he's from Ontario. Yeah, he's anyway. Yeah. All yeah. the good, all the Hoopers are from Ontario, and then basically, like a, yeah, a few. All the people are from Ontario, right? Then, like <laughs> Ontario's it, Canada, basically. I, yes, there are a few guys that come out of Quebec because Montreal got got them Haitians, and then they have this random like seven four like. Victor Wembenyama, like B Tech white kid that's like in high school. Look him up. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name right now, but I know who you're talking about. Um first of all, I'm a little apprehensive about making fun of Brooks because I've got a funny feeling he's a Houston Rocket next season, to be completely honest with you. You can uh, make fun of him now. You, you there's only so much time. Look, I'll say this. Dylan Brooks is like really truly one of the better defensive wings in the NBA. If he could just temper his shot selection and like just take reasonable shots and get it out of his head that he's like some kind of a shot creator 
he could be a really, really good rotation player, like like a starting caliber player. But until those things happen, you know, he he's really a difficult player to roster, man. Like his shot selection is beyond comprehension. It's it's like there 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 are not words to properly capture how bad Dylan Brooks' shot selection is. Yeah, his, I, yeah I, his, I I don't I, I completely understand why Memphis didn't want him back. Yeah, his shot selection is like imagine if Ron Artest took ecstasy before every single game. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's like whoa, like dude, like what are you doing? You don't hit those. Why are you even trying <laughs> that shit? Um, I, I we said I said this before we started recording. I think part of the issue with this shot selection is the Grizzlies need someone to take those shots. Right, and they don't have anyone else to do it, and so he's kind of in that unfavorable position of being like, "Hey, we need another floor spacer. You have to be that floor spacer. I know you're not a floor spacer, but you have to take these shots." So, like, I do wonder if you put him on a roster where there is more shot creation and floor spacing and three point shooting, if that's like reining the shot selection in, is less of like him being a dumbass. Which is very possible. I, I'm not going to say that's not. It's not let impossible. Me, but like, let me, let me pick up on that lesson. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's that's so true. It's true that the Grizzlies had really bad spacing last year, and as a result of that, they needed him to shoot threes. Definitely. But it's like this: like the catch and shoot stuff is fine, and he if he misses, he misses. He's not really a natural shooter. But it's the ridiculous off the dribble, crazy madman shots, right? That that that's what's problematic. Like. Like no offense needs Dylan Brooks to just launch a three uh, heavily contested off the dribble, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's better just to like toss it to jaw or Bane with like 2.5 seconds on the shot yeah. clock and see if they can get something. Cause like, there's just a better chance it goes in. I completely agree with that. I do just wonder if like his shot selection problems look a lot less bad with the with certain pieces around him and you know I, I see that so you know when he ends up on the golden state warriors and we're like wow this guy's great <laughs> you know i can you actually know, really see that yeah. I, I could see it too he's he's almost perfect they have a great way of taking the worst people you could possibly imagine and then somehow making them great players yep. all right Let's talk about the Miami Heat cuz they beat the fucking Milwaukee Bucks in 5 in what I would like to say one of the craziest three-point shooting variant series of all time. The, the the Heat were like one of the five worst three-point shooting teams during the regular season, so they just decided to play the Bucks and hit 45% of their threes. They would have lost this series if Jimmy Butler hadn't gone God mode, but they would have lost this series with Jimmy Butler going God mode like he did if they didn't hit 45 fucking percent of their threes because holy fucking shit, that, that came out of nowhere. And then they go out there and they beat the Knicks in game one, but Jimmy Butler sprained his ankle. Do you have any thoughts on the Bucks series and how fucked are they if Jimmy Butler is hobbled? Because at the end of that game, the dude, like, one, real quick, what the fuck were the Knicks doing at the end of game one? Jimmy Butler's out there literally on one leg. Peg leg, fucking Jimmy, should have a parrot on his goddamn fucking shoulder, and he should be attacking the dude every single time. Like, they would, they screened, like, his man screened a few times, and they just, the heat quickly switched out of it. Get that guy, get that guy that ball. Like, I don't care. It you it could Dude, be I think it was... out there. I could have gotten by him potentially, right? Like uh, just yeah. try it. Like he's got one goddamn leg. I think it was just like the legend of Jimmy Butler, man. I, I think they honestly, it's just so hardwired. Like, you do not attack Jimmy Butler. 
that they just would not attack Jimmy Butler because that's the only explanation I can come up with because otherwise you're right. He was out there limping, literally. Yes. And the Knicks were like, well, we're just going to treat him like any other player for some reason. Uh, as for the Bucks series, man, there's very little analysis to be made, I think. Just Jimmy Butler went god mode. Like Jimmy Butler was the best player in the NBA uh, for that series. He really was. Um also, I will say this. As someone that's walk, watched a fair amount of Bucks games, uh, my brother's a Bucks fan, so we talk about it, and I try to like watch him just so we can have conversations about it. They, throughout the entire season, like would melt down in the fourth quarter and like close games in a way that like was very concerning, and that's kind of what happened against Miami, where it's just like, the end of the game, it's kind of close. We're going to have five straight possessions where you're just leaving Every single time going, what the fuck did I just watch? What were they even trying to do? What like this? This is how did this team win the most games in the league? And this is what they're managing. And it's not even they won the most games in the league. They won the most games in the league with a with a net rating of like plus three point three. So that means they outperformed their their expected you know win total, which means usually you're good in crunch time. That's how teams do that. So I don't understand how they win more games than they should based upon net rating and at the same time look like the most lost podunk JV squad in crunch time. I don't get it. it, it let makes me, let no me say one thing, man. I think that Budenhoser's style kind of reminds me a little bit of Mike D'Antoni, actually, in the way that Budenhoser's a coach where he's like, I have a system. This is what I think works, and I don't deviate from it. And the Bucks try to play the numbers you know, their their shot selection is very analytic friendly. It's it's either threes or layups. And like I dig that. It's a good way to generate offense. And and, and you know, of course it's the, it's like the right way to play in the modern context. But you want to have a fail safe or like like a fallback option too, you know? Uh and they don't. They they pretty much are just like, We're gonna run our bucks offense, and if it's not working, it'll work next time. We play the numbers. And I, I think sometimes that, that can be a, a significant shortcoming in, in an NBA coach. Yeah, to to use a, a- um, kind of a not expression from soccer. Budenhauser is not a cup coach. Um, where because cup competitions are like single knockout, so coaches and teams that do well are guys that are like good at making single game adjustments. To the team that they're playing, which is great in cup competition, but you can't do that over the course of a regular season. So the teams that usually like perform the best in the league over the course of a season. Our teams where you have like a coach who's like dogmatic in his principles and like they just stick to them and that's going to win you the most games over the course of the season, get you the most points. Odenhauser is like that. He's not a cup coach. And the thing is, the best coaches do fucking both. Um, so yeah, you know, <laughs> like maybe just go find a cup coach. You Odenhauser gave the team the principles they need. Go get a cup coach and they maybe. Hey, we'll... Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think Ime Udoka is a cup coach? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, because... Segway. Segway. All right. Let's go talk about James having probably his first real happy moment um, for the Rockets. And it's been a while because that, that final season, even though they made the playoffs with Westbrook and Harden, I don't know how happy of the season that was because you could just... It was one of those things where... I loved it because it was an insane, all-in, gutsy, roster-building experiment that I wish more teams had the cojones to do. But you could also kind of think 
you know what? If we need to get rid of a really, really, really good center to make it so Russell Westbrook is in a complete negative, yeah, we're kind of fucked. Let me, man. I know I've told you a story before, I think, but I will always remember that was at my best friend's wedding, and my best friend had a really small wedding because it was peak COVID, and I was the only member of like the wedding party, right? But uh, we managed to sneak our close friend Dave in because Dave like ordained the wedding, like he was like the, you know, do you. Stephen take yes guy. Yes, I, we know he was. He became an ordained minister for the wedding. Well, I don't know. He's a lawyer, and that, that in Canada that gives him the right to do that if he wants to. Apparently, honestly, uh, that should give you more of a right than being a fucking minister. Considering yeah, getting married yes, is like exactly. a legal agreement. Yeah, but whatever. Like, we, we we put the law before God in this country, but anyway. <laughs> um. So they're both Lakers fans. Is the point? And that series was ongoing, and we were talking about it. And I just remember the context because it was my best friend's wedding. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember I was really trying to push that, like, I don't know, man. I think, that you know, it's going to be hard for you guys to keep up with us, like, speed-wise. Like, Rockets are going to take AD out of the paint. Like, we got all these advantages and stuff. In my head the whole time, I'm like, there's no fucking world where P.J. Tucker at the five just somehow beats Anthony Davis. Like, we are going to get dummied. And and I just, I knew it, man. I knew it. So, so you'll, you'll find this funny, is that I actually, like, just watching that series i wrote something um about the lakers and they went on to win the championship um obviously in the bubble but i wrote the lakers have gone small watch the fuck out and i really felt that that series against the rockets is the reason they one of the main reasons they ended up winning the championship in the fashion they did because if you remember the lakers played a, a true center next to ad pretty much all season into the playoffs and the Rockets were running by them. And Frank Vogel said, okay, we're getting the center out of here. AD, yeah. you're the center. LeBron, you're moving to power forward. And it was one of those things where it's like, AD and LeBron are fast enough to play small ball at the five and four, but they have the positional size that you want. So, That's what I knew. Yeah, and so they basically, the Rockets forced the Lakers to unlock their maximum lineup, which is, oh, we're actually playing small ball, but it's not small because we just have two freak players. And, yeah. you know, like... Now, I, I think they would have still beat us with the Twin Towers, but but they yes. would have beat us less handily. It would have taken six or seven instead of five. Yeah, yeah. And I, let's I, I, talk about... Yeah, let's talk about Adoka. Talk about let's talk Adoka. about the new coach of the Houston Rockets. I, I mean, I, I couldn't be happier, obviously. Like, there's the whole ethical... I mean... What about Nurse? Like, 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 would have Nick Nurse made you happier? That, that's my question. I honestly don't think so, man. There have been signs. Now, I would have been super happy with Nurse, right? Would have been really, like, really happy with Nurse. There have been some indications that his offense is a little bit like rudimentary, maybe, or like, like there have been times this year where the Raptors look like, man, they're really just kind of like driving and kicking, and like there, there aren't really any principles at play here. Maybe it was roster construction. I don't know, but I mean, look. It's so hard to gauge coaching in general because it's so directly proportional to what you have in the roster, right? Like, like yeah. that Kawhi Leonard roster was perfect. Every single player in the rotation was a two-way player, and they had multiple front court looks they could give you. You know, like they could be twin towers, they can give you small ball. Like, they had a primary creator, a secondary creator, tertiary creator. Like, it was such a perfect roster, you know. So it's yeah. like that's why they won the championship. That and the entire Golden State Warriors got injured all at once. So, like, I, I, I don't know that Nurse is, like, necessarily an offensive genius. I think he's a defensive genius for sure, right? Uh, I think that's well proven. 
I, I but I'm not sure what his offensive acumen necessarily is. Of course, that's true for Udoka too, because I mean he inherited a really good roster for one season. But it's worth mentioning that you know the Celtics were kind of struggling under Brad Stevens when, when Udoka took over, and and he made them better. And here's what excites me the most about it. Okay, the Rockets have this roster full of talented dudes that hate passing the ball besides Alperen Sengun, right? And isn't that kind of exactly what Udoka hired in Boston, except better players, admittedly, you know, like, but uh, it ter- just in terms of like, like philosophically or, or construction wise, like he took Tatum and Brown and Al Horford, who's like the Sengun proxy. And he was like, we're going to turn this into a motion offense. You guys are going to get passing Marcus smart. You're going to start looking like a point guard. And like, like he, he, kind of revolutionized it so i'm very excited to see what he can do yeah from the schematic standpoint you know the 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 celtics the season before under brad stevens who we both agree is an incredibly good coach i mean the amount of oh, success yeah. he's had like with the rosters he had like and when you factor in injuries in the playoffs like he made a bunch of conference finals and like fantastic coach but they were 500 that final season and they're basically 500 the first 30 some games through last season and then Udoka and the staff, and I'm going to say the staff because I think this is like the one question mark with how good of a coach is yeah, Udoka. Yeah, because the staff I think was excellent. That's a good point. I think he's a good coach, but how good is whose decision was it to have Robert Williams play on basically the other team's corner guy, the guy who can't do anything on offense, and have him be kind of the free safety because that unlocked their defense to the next level. And how, like, them starting to share the ball Marcus Smart had like a moment where like he got the guys to do it, right? Like, was that him and the coaching staff working together? Or is Udoka this really, really, really good communicator? So I think if I were to just make a guess from just the way people talk about him, and like I think this is like more important than people want to admit, Udoka looks like a guy who people are gonna fucking listen to. And sometimes that's why people fucking listen to people, right? Like there are politicians who are successful. Not because they have ideas, not because they're good at speaking. It's because when you look at them, you're like, that's a motherfucking politician. No Udoka doubt. And, is a motherfucking head coach, right? Like, he and like if you take it to Boston, part. take it to Boston. I think that's part of why they had to replace Brad Stevens because he was like, guys, uh, maybe we could pass the ball right. a little more often. Okay. I don't know. Wait, time out, time out, time out. You're literally just doing the stereotypical white guy in every single yeah. rap music video from the 90s and early 2000s because for whatever reason, every rap video just has like a random nerdy white guy in it that they yeah. make fun of. I don't and he looks just like Brad Stevens. And it was not? Brad Stevens. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, like, Brad, he looks, you know, he's the dude that walks in there and like, you know, people call him Mayo. Hey, what's up, Coach Mayo? Like, yeah, oh. he's like, oh, we've talked about this. <laughs> but so, you know, Yudoka commands respect. Yeah. So point point taken. Um, so here's a few questions I have about it. And obviously, I, I look, I think for a team that's in the Rockets position, you don't normally get a guy like Udoka, right? So like them getting it is a is a win from a coaching hire standpoint, right? Like if you go look at the coaches of like the even up and coming teams with interesting talent, almost all of them are got first time head coach that were assistants or like failed head coaches in certain cases that like, weren't the top tier candidate. So I think getting Udoka is good. But I do wonder that the speed at which the Rockets were able to sign him before the playoffs are over, is that an indication of Udoka and his representatives reading the market of him not actually having a super strong market? Because, you know, like the the Raptors and him were linked 
but you know they're interviewing Becky Hammond, right? To me, that organization isn't going to be seriously considering Udoka a season after what went down if they're interviewing Becky Hammond and like they have, you know, champions like being like we have women in our front office, women in our coaching stuff, like we care about gender representation in our organization, right? So like I I do wonder and like you know you're a Rockets fan you're you're entitled to be optimistic about this hire but someone that's not a fan like I got I kind of go it is a little odd that like you know two weeks you know a week even after the hire is announced you know the Bucks job could be open the Cavs job could be open the Raptors job is still open right like if you're Ime Odoka and like you could potentially coach the Bucks and that's realistic or you could potentially coach the Cavs like no offense, like the Rockets up and coming. Maybe he wants to be a part of something like that. But most coaches go, hey, when you have the Cavaliers, if that job's open, they're up and coming and they're already super fucking good. Maybe I want that job more than the Rockets. No offense to the Rockets. Once again, I'm not trying to offend them. I just wonder the speed at which it happens does raise a level of, was his market actually super hot? And that then leads me to ask, well, why is it? Is it because people aren't sure of his coaching acumen? Because as we mentioned before, his staff that season in Boston was great. Will Hardy, Joe Mazzulla. Like, you know, I'll quibble about Joe Mazzulla's decisions, but like as an assistant, dude's like one of the going to be one of the best assistants. Will Hardy, I mean, you saw what he did with the Utah Jazz, right? Like he fucked up their tank, um, which, which is like, you know, both great and also bad. So I do wonder, like, do you have any concerns about that? And I know you probably don't, because you don't want to. No. But do you think well, they're a valid question? Okay, let me say this. In so far as whether there are concerns about his coaching acumen, like how many candidates are there on the market? You know what I mean? Like there are concerns about nurses' coaching acumen, right? Like there are concerns, right? There's nobody on the there's nobody who's gonna hit the market who we can confidently say, like, no, this is an excellent NBA coach, and there's no question, because those guys have standing jobs, right? Popovich, Spolstra not that many. <laughs> I feel like I'm blanking on it one or I two. Think Ty like, Lue, I think Ty Lue's now got Well, Ty Lue might lose his job in LA, though. But but I, I agree with you that, that he's he's a certified coach, though. I mean, if he's losing his job, he's losing his job because his two best players literally can never be healthy at the same yeah, time in the playoffs. Exactly. No, so, all right, I agree. Ty Lue's another one where you can't question him. But there's not that many candidates. So I think Udoka has as proven a track record as anybody that would have been available. So so That's I don't think fair. the coaching academic concerns are there. Yeah. Um. As for, though, the other concerns, it's possible that they, they played a role in the expediency of, of the signing, right? That is a possibility. But I guess I just see those things as, like, a little extraneous. Like, if he goes and sleeps with a, a staffer again, you know, then we've got a problem. Otherwise, like, like, that either just goes away or doesn't. Like, he's the head coach now. We know that he had an affair with a Celtic staffer. We don't really know the details, you know? Uh, yeah, which we should not know. Once again, we should not know these details because... These are people's private lives, and we should including the the, the woman. So yeah, particularly right, exactly. the woman. That's who especially the woman. Yeah, like, that's like, yeah, that's the yes. thing, right? So so that's that's what it is. But with that in mind, like we just don't really know exactly how it looked and how how nefarious it was as a result. So there's that. But then also, it's like if he does it again, then yeah, we got a big problem, you know. But if he's he doesn't done. do it again, I mean, he's done. He's done coaching in the NBA for the rest of his life. Yeah. So he and he, surely he knows that, right? So I think they, I think it's a little bit of a right place, right time thing. Man. I think the Rockets just got lucky. Like like this guy's available because he did a stupid thing. 
Um, and I do think that the job probably appealed to him on some level. I think that there's some appeal in a reclamation project. I think that the fact that it's a decent market was probably appealing to him in the calf space. So I think yeah. you might look at this like, like to me, one thing I'm very confident in, right, is the Rockets are not interested in missing the playoffs for, for like more than one more season. Like 2024, 25, the goal is to be back, right? Yeah. Uh, next year, the, the goal is playing. And so, like, if he's aligned with the front office on those goals, then they're going to do what they can to make it happen, you know? Yeah, no, I just, it just, part of me just wonders, like, Udoka's got an agent, right? Like, he's he's going to be talking to teams, talking to executives. And if, and everyone knows, if you're an agent, that after the playoffs, good jobs open up. So it's just a little bit concerning to me Maybe not from like any other point of other than like, hey, like if Udoka jumped at this job, knowing that there's a chance that better jobs were going to open, does that indicate to you that those better teams were like, we're not going to do this? And like maybe it's just like, hey, like we're a good team, we can also get a good coach, and we don't want to bring any of this other baggage, right? Yeah, maybe like, exactly. Maybe it's as simple as that. But that to me is like still like I want like I'm interested in knowing what those teams thoughts, what those conversations were like, because I can guarantee this. If the, if his representation got a sense that like, Hey, if like the bucks jobs open it up, like we're going to give you a call. I don't think he takes the rockets job right now. Right. Like, like that, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of my sense. And like, the question is if, if that's true, why are they saying this ain't going to happen? And like, maybe it's simply, we don't want that type of drama. We're a championship team. We try to minimize drama at all costs. Goodbye, Dylan Brooks as a good example for that, right? Like maybe that's all it is. Or maybe there are concerns being like, this dude made one of the dumbest fucking decisions you could possibly fucking make. And this guy's supposed to be making the most important decisions on the basketball court for this franchise. Are we sure that he's the guy to do it? Blah blah blah. Right, like who who yeah. knows? Who knows why? I just let me let me add one more factor why. though. Yeah. One more factor is this: there's only one other job that appeared likely to be available with a team that has any chance of drafting Victor Wembanyama. Maybe he said, "Let me roll the dice in those fourteen percent odds, man." Because whichever team lands Wembanyama has one of the most attractive jobs in in the NBA right off the bat. Like any coach would want to get in on ground floor with with, with Wemby, right? So it's possible that he was thinking that the lottery odds played a major role in his assessment as well, you know? I don't know. There's a few yeah. few things to play. There is one yeah. more angle on this I want to touch on. Yes. And it's more basketball related. Yes. I if, think if, that the, if, are you if you bring up Jalen Brown, I'm gonna scream. No, although I, I kind of want to just go get Jalen Brown to be honest, but but let's not even but I wouldn't I wouldn't I I'm I'm out on Jalen Brown after I know. what I've seen these playoffs. Yeah he, he didn't look great last night but let's save that. Uh <laughs> let me say this the pairing of Yudoka and Alper and Shangun is, to me, the most interesting basketball plot here. Because offensively, Yudoka knows exactly what to do with Alper and Shangun. And I think that's a, it's a really good partnership. Uh, he His system in Boston, you know, definitely relied on, like, front court passing and motion and, and all the things that Shangun brings to the table. But at the same time, Yudoka has, with his last roster, it was front court defense was very important too, as it, you know, tends to be winning teams. And so 
it's going to be interesting to see. I, I would suspect that he looks at Shangun and he goes, I want to try to make a defender out of that kid because if I can, I'm going to turn him into a perennial all-star. But it's going to be interesting to see. It's like, it's this weird thing that's like really perfect for him in one way and then the antithesis of what he's accustomed to and probably prefers in another way. So I have a question for you before we get off this. So we before we started recording, we were talking about the Warriors and how Kevon Looney's getting all this praise. And I was I brought up how like Looney obviously a really good role player, but he's he's in the perfect situation where they ask him to do what he's going to be good at. I don't think Shangun will ever be the level of defender that Kevon Looney is, but Looney's not really your traditional rim protector. Could Shangun kind of become on defense? a Kevon Looney type where if you have a dude next to him that can, no, no, but if you have a dude next to him that can kind of play that like roving cleanup role, right? And you just I have mean, him be the dude that like, if a guy gets a post touch, I'm going to, I'm going to bump him and he can play more aggressive on screens because he knows he's got cover behind him. He doesn't have to like play in a drop and try to like protect that stuff. Like, I wonder if like, cause the question with Shangun isn't, Hey, can this guy be an elite defender? It's, can he be average? Just slightly above average and let's see how far his offense can go because if his offense is going to be as good as like some people think and I think is realistic which is like kind of like at least borderline all-star level offense from a center like he doesn't need to be that good on defense to be a very valuable player potentially like a key player on like playoff good playoff teams and potentially champion so I just wonder if you know like could he become a Kevon Looney type on defense where you're not really asking him to do anything other than like be a brute let me let me say a couple things. First of all, if he's going to be a below average defender at the five, then there's no borderline all star. That 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 would not suffice. He has to be an all star offensive player and like like yeah, a yeah. high end one, in my opinion, or like mid to high end one. Uh, I I would not think that borderline all star offense and, and liable defense is, is a winning formula. No, I'm saying if he gets to average, all he really needs. If is he like gets to average, okay, all yeah, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I do think that like to credit Kevon Looney. He does have reasonably quick feet. and well, Looney's better, and I'm not saying he can be as good as Looney, because Looney's like a good defensive player in what he's asked to do. But I'm saying, like, is that the best way to maximize Shengun's defensive ability? Yeah, probably as, a, as an overall model. Yeah, like, like it, it, his primary responsibility is positional defense, like to check the opposing big, as long as that big's not, like, Embiid, but most teams don't have Embiid, so it's not really, you know... Uh, and you don't really stop Jokic like with one-on-one defense, really, right? Like, so yeah, it's kind of a moot yeah. point. So if, if yeah, bruising and banging uh, is his primary defensive role, and there's a roamer. Uh, yeah, I would say that's probably the best shot you have at maximizing him. I just am not still not sure if it's a, if it's likely to work out, but it'll be interesting. We'll find out. He's a, he's a smart kid. He's a smart basketball player. So like those guys tend to kind of beat their physical physical projection more more than guys that do because you watch deandre ayton and like that dude's got all the physical ability in the world and like on offense he gets the ball and like when he gets it he has no idea where anyone is and like that's not something yeah. you can coach like that's just something you either have or you don't yeah they're Speaking, kind of opposites that way let's get off of this udoka hire which i think as james does is a good basketball hire i just have some questions i just have questions because like i have no reason to be like all in on like this being good because it doesn't affect my life really so you know like like you're allowed to be optimistic i'm allowed to say there are some questions that like do make me wonder how this ended up happening no disrespect to any parties involved it's just like 
I think these are reasonable questions to ask. And if you're a Rockets fan, you should ask them because, like, this is your team. This is the guy who's leading, leading the ship on forward. Um, and you're paying him a lot of money. You're paying him a lot of money for a coach that's coached one season, did make the NBA Finals, but then it turns out he is a very bad decision maker in some <laughs> in some areas. Yeah. Okay. James, last night the Houston Rockets won their first playoff game <laughs> of, of these playoffs because James Harden went off for 45 points in the garden. The TD Garden, not the not the not the other garden, the the garden up in Boston to beat the Celtics 119 to 115. This this Sixers team was written off because Joel Embiid was out and James Harden said, I'm a crook. Like it's 2017, 18 or some shit. I forget when he was good. I mean he's he's been good for the rest of rest of the time, but he really he really put on a show and the Sixers won game one on the road with a 1-0 series lead without their best player against the Boston Celtics, who I legitimately believe are the best team left in the playoffs. So, James, now that the Rockets have finally won a playoff game, how do you feel? Feeling great, man. It's the glory days. Harden's dropping 40. You know, our boy always delivers in the playoffs without fail. And uh, Rockets win. Another second-round matchup. No, but... Uh, Harden really did turn back the clock last night, man. One thing I, I I gave some thought to, you had messaged me last night saying that the Celtics needed to stop playing drop, right? Uh, which is was true. But at the same time, typically the best way to stop Harden is with drop coverage, I feel. <clears throat> you, want, you want your best point of attack defender on him, and then you want your big in drop because you know that he's going to be looking for a three or a layup, and that's your best chance of taking away those two looks. But he switched it on him last night because Harden was cooking in the midi zone, man. He he was yep. getting those middies up and punishing that drop coverage. So the Celtics are going to have to adjust that because he's he's willing to go back to it, apparently. Wish yes. he had done that in Houston a little more often in the playoffs. Yeah, well, the problem is he still had burst enough to try think that he could finish at yeah, the game and yeah. draw fouls. Um, so so I, the reason why I thought they should have stopped playing drop was, and they didn't do this really at all last night, is I don't understand why... They did not fucking play the double big lineup of Time Lord, Robert Williams, the third, and Al Horford. They opted just to go with one center at a time. And I think that fucking cost them. Look, the, the Time Lord's had his injury issues. He didn't play much this season. But I wanna I wanna read you some some net ratings in admittedly small samples. So okay. When Al Horford and Time Lord were on the court this season. They played 332 minutes. Celtics had a 15.36 net rating. Their offensive rating was 121.86. So the dual big lineup can get you buckets, all right? Their defensive rating was 106.5. I think the Cavaliers led the NBA in defensive rating, like 110-ish. Like, you're getting killed. Your defense is getting scorched. Why not see if that that double big lineup can win you this game? Because I thought what they should have done is, look, PJ Tucker took zero fucking shots. He took zero fucking shots. Put, put Time Lord. Put Robert Williams on him. And just gamble that Time Lord helping 
and then them kicking to P.J. Tucker isn't going to lose you the fucking game because the dude isn't taking any shots. And then when they put him James Harden in the pick and roll, you can have your center, whether it's Time Lord or Al Horford, play aggressive, knowing that if they get beat, they have that support there, and all it's costing you is a kick out to P.J. Tucker or someone else, right? Like, I just don't know why they didn't try that because to me, like, it's so it was so clear that like you're playing a drop. Harden is killing you because if you're not playing aggressive on it, he's either getting into the mid-range and getting easy looks, or he's getting open threes. And it's just like, and then you have fucking PJ. Like they were they were basically scared of five out spacing when one of the dudes spacing the floor wasn't spacing the floor because he wasn't fucking shooting the ball, right? Like it, it just it, it it I thought it was incredible tactical misjudgment where it's just like, look, I know everyone wants to match five out with five out but sometimes you got to match it with no we're just going to be bigger and badder than you because they would have killed them on the offensive glass they would have killed them on the offensive glass if they had gone to that lineup on offense they obviously can score in it in the small sample that we've seen and to make matters worse the the fucking sixers weren't playing five out they weren't playing five out because pj tucker was just in the corner literally never shooting like you just got to take advantage of that I don't know if it was about the five out as, as much as it might have been about Boston being afraid of Philly's transition game because you got Harden at the point. He's such an excellent look-ahead passer, Maxi, uh, Speed Demon, and now you're also going to run Paul Reed at the five. It's like this team is really fast, right? They can play Fuck really it. fast. I, but it. with that said, I'm, I'm just scrambling to try to find an explanation because, like, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I, I, Look, there's probably not a good explanation. It's probably Missoula had a game plan for this game, knowing that Embiid wasn't going to be there. And him and the staff believed in that game plan being the one that was going to allow them to win. And the reality is, it wasn't. Because they weren't, like, it's like, here's the thing. This is what makes great players great. You game plan for a great player. And they can drop an efficient fucking, like, 70% true shooting 45 fucking points on you. You know what that means? They took your game plan and they tore it up. So you got to go find a new fucking game plan in the middle of the damn game. And going back to something you've already done that you know you're good at doesn't seem like that much of a fucking stretch to me. I'm sorry. Like I'm, I'm, I was watching that game. I just kept going, dude, if you play both these bigs, they never have to play the drop because they know the help is there. And you're going to basically dare them to try to get to the cup. And fucking Time Lord or Al Horford's going to be there to meet them. And these guys aren't big and explosive, right? Like, like come on. Now, I guess eventually that would have led to P.J. Tucker just taking open threes, and that's not really that bad of a shot for Philly, but they had to do something, so I still agree with yeah. you, you know? Yeah, look, yeah. Like, here's the thing. Like, if I'm if I'm game-playing against Philly, the last thing I actually want is P.J. Tucker taking zero shots. If P.J. Tucker's taking zero shots, you're fucking up on defense. Yeah. Like, like that's to me, like, what you want. Like, the guy that is willing to take zero shots is the guy you want shooting. Yeah. Um, okay. Now that I've gotten this little rant out of the way, this was one of the best offensive basketball games I think I've ever fucking seen in my life. I mean, the like Boston was absurd. I, the fact that the fact that they lost the game where they shot fifty eight point seven percent from the field is insane to me. But I will say this. They lost this game because of Marcus Smart. 
And I know towards the end of the game, the announcers were like, Marcus Smart making all these winning plays. I'm sorry, but if you're Marcus Smart and you're scoring 12 points, getting seven assists, but it's coming with six turnovers, like you're not an offensive engine, right? Like if you're getting seven assists, six turnovers, but you're scoring a bunch of points and you're like constantly attacking the defense, getting in the teeth of the defense and like creating havoc, those six turnovers I can live with. But you're not doing that. Your mark is fucking smart. Like you got to have those turnovers under four. And I think that's the difference. They had 16 turnovers. Philly had six. Boston shot better than them. At the end of the day, they had the same offensive rebounds. At the end of the day, Philly won because they got 10 extra chances to score. And that's how they won by four. Yeah, no doubt. I also thought that Boston generally did a little there's a little bit of overpassing going on as, as the game went on. There was that play towards the end of the game where they just could not find a shot. And it was late in the clock and somebody threw a pass. I can't remember what like it was, it was Brogdon with no time and Maxi with no time it. in the clock. And, and, and Maxi catches it at zero yeah. zero. There's no one on Celtics there, right. by the way. It's yeah, because just... it's so easy to play that pass lane because you're like, well, he literally like there's nowhere else for the ball to go, you know? Like Maxi, yeah, he's either shooting or it's a making this pass. Second, it's a 24 second violation. Yeah, right, exactly. So yeah, so that was like that was a bad possession, and there there was another turnover a little earlier uh, in the fourth, I think, where I just felt like they passed a couple of good shots trying to find better ones, and it's like I I respect that, but you know, sometimes you just had to take the good shots, right? And so just little adjustments that Boston could make. Like, they, they, they looked really good overall as a team, I thought. Uh, I know, it's Things just, were clicking. They're the weirdest team. They're the only team I can remember where they look incredibly good in games where they they lose and fuck up, right? Like, it, 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 yeah. it's, it's so fucking weird to me, right? They, like, they have a really good system. Like, it's a really good machine, you know? But yeah. but it's not, it's not infallible. Man, the problem for them remains, like, dribble penetration and ball handling. And, like, like they still don't really have a guard... They don't really have a guard who can go get his own bucket, you know? Uh, I know, and that's, I mean, that's why I would just, this is crazy. This is not crazy. This is what I think Boston fans probably been saying all season. Crunch time, Malcolm Brogdon in for Marcus Smart. Like, I'm sorry, Smart probably. made some, like, big defensive plays, got some big rebounds, hit a few tough buckets, got some and ones at the end. They're going to make, you know, casuals be like, oh, he, he helped the team. Like, he helped the team. It wasn't his fault. Man, like, you lo- they lost that game in the first half. They shot 70 fucking percent yeah. and were like up two or three at halftime. They lost the game then. Like you don't shoot 70% in back-to-back halves. If you shoot 70% in a half, you need to be up big. And like smart, just fucking, I, I don't think his defense is worth the fact that he can't really hit threes. He's not a real dribble penetrator and he turns the ball over way too much. If he's having one of those games where he's not hitting shots and it looks like he's a little bit loose, I'm pulling his ass early. I'm saying Brogdon because Brogdon, dude, Brogdon hits like Brogdon does get that dribble penetration. He does hit tough layups. Like he's not as good a defender. He's maybe not quite as creative a passer, but like I will take one or two fewer assists for four fewer turnovers. Yeah. Especially when he is still strong enough in those areas. He's still a solid defender and he's a, he's a good yeah. playmaker. Yeah. yeah. And like the whole point of having a good defensive roster is that you can be fine with average guys out there. It's true. Um, man, like also not to rag on Boston players too much, but like Jalen Brown, I don't know if his hand is the problem, but that dude is his, his 
proclivity to turn the ball over is just like it's like because he's not he's turning the ball over in situations where other guys would never turn it over right like he's not actually he shouldn't be a high turnover player he's not like you know tasked with like a ton of ball handling he's not tasked with a ton of playmaking and so guys that are like that like they don't usually ever turn the ball over because like that's just like they're not high turnover types of possessions. It's like you get the ball, you try to beat your man, you try to shoot, but like they they've got. I don't know if it's because of his hand. I mean, he's always kind of a highish turnover player, but like it's not a good and, ball handler. It's the biggest hole in his game, right? If he, if he had like a strong handle, he'd be arguably the best scorer in the league. His shot creation is ridiculous. It's like like ninety third percentile last I looked. I think in terms of like shots created at the rim. And high percentile in terms of jump shot shot creation as well, but he's got a bad handle, and that's it's been the knock on him from the Daves in the league, and it's still a problem. He, it's gone from horrible to to bad, I think, but it's still bad, you know. Yeah, it's those two guys have got to figure out how to to rein rein in the turnovers because that, I think that's honestly the only thing that's going to like cost Boston, right? Like they're not going to be a high offensive rebound team the way that their offense is structured. They just there's not enough bodies near the rim um, for that to be the case. And they're a great shooting team. And they probably should generate a few more. Like, that's another hole in Brown's game. You know how he's great at generating rim shots for a perimeter player? He's horrible at generating free throws. And, like, if he could just add a little more free throw generation, his faults wouldn't matter as much. But, like, because it's not there, it's like they really need – they. Re- they just can't turn the ball over as much as they did. And I don't think Philly, I don't think Philly forced them into 16 turnovers. I think they just coughed up the ball six or seven times. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. There's definitely some unforced turnovers just due to some limitations of Boston's roster. And we'll see how it goes, man. I, I really like how every player on this team and in, in the rotation is like a two way guy. There are a lot of good things about Boston and, and like, it's a playoff proof kind of roster, but there are a couple of there's some offensive limitations that we'll see if we'll see if they can get past Philly, man. Yeah, yeah. This is gonna sound crazy. It's almost like they have too much margin for error as a team. And so they're just not always cranked yeah. up on like like that focus level because it's just like, well, like, you know, we're good enough and we're talented enough and we're deep enough, like we can overcome that those types of mistakes. And usually it's true. But, but it won't always be true. It won't always be true, especially against good teams. Before we get off of this, I just want to say one final thing about James Harden. The dude's a really good player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, like He's had his clunkers in the playoff. A lot of great players have. A lot of players tasked with carrying an insane load on offense higher as series go, series go on. But he was great. And I feel like there's been a lot of like hardened stands and supporters being like, we told you he wasn't actually a playoff bust. It's like, well, that's not necessarily true because, you know, it's complicated. His playoff record is complicated, right? He's had excellent games. He's had horrible games. He's, he's usually had the odds against him in a lot of ways. You got to give him credit that like he's been to the NBA finals and he's been to the NBA conference finals as a leading man twice. So like, he's not like, I think the reality is just this. People want him to either be, like the best player in the NBA or this complete playoff bust when the reality is that like, he's just got a mixed record in the playoffs, you know? Yeah. He's also a guy that like, like once again, like the reason he never made it to a finals is basically because the Warriors 
broke the NBA. Yeah. Like, like, like what, like, what, like, what, like, what, like, let's not get it twisted here. It's like, it's like all those guys in the East that, ne- or, or even the West in the nineties that like didn't win championships. Like most of it was just because like those bulls teams broke the MB, the, the NBA, right? Like they just, the first three peat team had, you know, three all NBA quality players, the MVP and like, you know, Horace Grant was the all NBA probably third team at best, but he was like a real, real good player. And people tend to forget about him because he wasn't in the last dance, but Horace Grant, really good player, right? Like the second three peat team. I mean, that team was loaded. Like it's just, you know, like this is what happens. And let me say this right before we move on it on from it, but throughout history, there are championship caliber teams that don't win championships, right? Uh, Charles Barkley's sons that went to the finals. And I get, I think 93 with the bulls, like, that team could have won a championship, right? They had Chuck, they had Kevin Johnson, they had uh, Dan Marley, you know, like, like excellent team. Uh, Tom Gugliotta just didn't win the championship. Uh, I think the Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Detlef Shrimp, Hershey Hawkins, uh, Seattle Supersonics, Nate championship McMillan, caliber baby. teams. What's that? Nate, Nate McMillan, who, by the way. Nate McMillan, he was good. He was really good. One of the more yeah. underrated players of his era. One of the best yeah. defenders like of that period of time. And I would say the Malone, Stockton, Jazz were championship caliber. And, of course, with some bias, I would say the 2017-18 Houston Rockets were a championship caliber team. I mean, of course they were. They won That's 16. not fucking bias. That's just literal. Yeah, it's a fact, the, right? They were like, the best team in the league. In a yeah, league. that's a championship team. Just didn't win because the Warriors won. They, they were the best team in the league during the regular season with the Warriors having Kevin fucking Durant. Yeah. Like, like, how fuck like keep and then it took a Chris Paul injury and the worst three point shooting slump at the worst time in NBA history. Which those two things, in my opinion, are interrelated. But anyway, yeah. But even 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 still, right? Like here's the thing: Chris Paul could have gotten fucking hurt, and they could have just went three for twenty eight or whatever the fuck it would have been, which is yeah. still horrible shooting. They probably would have won the fucking game, right? Like it's just yeah. one of those things where it's like you know people are like oh like Harden. It's like dude, like I don't know, like sometimes shit just doesn't line up. The stars don't align. And I will say this. I'm not a believer in horoscopes. If I saw a guy saying Embiid getting injured every playoff run is because his like his horoscope's all fucked up. And I wonder if that's the case for Chris Paul. We gotta check when their birthdays are and just see if there's some validity to the playoff injury bug being caused by the stars. Well, let's move on to the next series then with that, because that's a natural transition. Yes, because stars are sons. At the Phoenix Suns, everyone's championship favorite the moment they acquired Kevin Durant, except for mine, because your boy, your boy loves bench depth. Okay. I I pick I pick champions based off who's got the best bench. All right. And the Denver Nuggets won a absolute rock fight, 97 to 87 against the Phoenix Suns in Denver to take a 2-0 series lead. We were sit waxing poetical. We're waxing poetic. I don't know. Probably they're probably both wrong about James Harden. But my boy, my guy that I've been saying is probably the best player in the league because I don't know, like what he's doing is insane every season. Nikola Jokic just you know dropped a casual thirty nine points on fifty six point seven percent field goal shooting, sixteen rebounds, five assists, two steals, one block. Only three turnovers for the victory. Okay, man. Going into this series, who do you think have the edge? And 
has that changed? Um, I was I was very torn. I, I was I was with my friends and I said uh, Suns, and then they made a good case for the Nuggets, and I sort of started to lean Nuggets. Uh, so I would say that I was torn, but I think the Nuggets have pretty well established that this series is there to theirs to lose. I I would say I lean heavily towards Denver now. There's a few reasons for that. Let's hear them then. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> the simple thing, yeah, just depth. Like the Suns, you know, they have like their stars. Uh, and I'm including Chris Paul in that, which is, you know, at this point, very generous. And then their next best player is like Tory Craig. Like that's like, I like Tory Craig. He's an underrated three and D wing, but I mean, you know, he should be like your seventh man on a championship team. Realistically, maybe, you know, like, like, and that's like a, like a top heavy championship team. So that's not great. But the other thing is the other, well, actually I'll two more things. They're kind of related. Uh, the other thing is DeAndre Ayton doesn't give a shit, and 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 that's a problem, you know. Like it, he just this guy is, makes low effort sound like a compliment to me, man. I I I'm, I don't like watching <laughs> DeAndre Ayton one bit anymore. I don't know what I don't know what it is with the guy. Like like maybe maybe he's one of these dudes that like was huge, and so somebody told him like, hey, you should try to play professional basketball, and he, and he doesn't actually like the sport. I'm not sure, but I see oh, no heart, no dog, zero dog detected. He's he's but, very easy to understand, in my opinion. But I'll, okay. when, I'll, when you're finished, I'll explain. Yeah, okay. All right. Theory. The last and probably best basketball reason that I have is this. The Suns don't really have a downhill attacking guard to target Nikola Jokic in pick and roll. So they're not able to exploit the one thing that's exploitable about Denver. If you can't exploit that one thing, this team is completely unexploitable. Like, everybody can shoot. Everybody but Nikola can defend pretty much. Well, okay, except Murray and... Porter Jr. But like, but you know, they, like they have two of the, except, you know, two of the three best starters. Players, but, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they surrounded those guys with defenders, you know, and, and, and they're athletic. And like, I just think basically that's how you beat Denver. If you're not going to punish Nikola Jokic for having slow feet, you're not going to beat Denver. And they don't really have a guy that can do that too much. Like Devin Booker's a good pick and roll guard, but he's not like that speedy downhill, get to the bucket at will pick and roll guard that you're really looking for, you know? In that yeah. exact situation. Yeah. Also, like, you know, Porter Jr. isn't a good defender. He's gotten better. Like, he's not. Yeah, he's like, gotten he was, better. He's yeah. gotten better. And, like, there was a few, like, KD hit, like, a fadeaway on him where I was like, fuck. Like, K like MPJ, like, played incredible defense on KD and forced a super tough contested mid-range jumper. And, like, he's big enough that he can contest AD, right? Like, or, or KD, excuse me. And so, like, MPJ's, like, got good positional size. Jamal Murray's not a good defender. But he's strong. He tries. Like he's not Trey Young out there, where teams like no. you, teams going to, are going to attack him. But like he's not just food. He's like he's a snack. Okay. Um. So he's like he's that next. He's a little bit better than that. And Jokic, I don't think he's a great defender. But it's mainly he's not a good rim protector, right? Like because most centers are exploitable in space. It's just that some are good rim protectors, so they can just drop back and protect the rim and it doesn't matter Jokic isn't but he's got great hands he'll get steals he's smart he's strong right like he's got components to his defense that he's not bad at um yeah. which I think I think people need to bring up because the way people talk about his defense it's as if like he is this lost child at a carnival um that you know home alone situation um yeah, they, they talk about him like he's Albert and Shangun, and he's not quite he's not quite on that level. He's better than Shangun. He's big. Like he's a big dude. Just being it's crazy how just being big makes you so much better yeah. at basketball. No, no, you're right, of course, right? Like like realistically, Jokic has a means of surviving on defense. Like 
like especially in drop coverage, uh, especially alongside like Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell Pope, right? Who like like Gordon's a really good roamer and Pope is a really good point of attack defender. So like they 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 did put a structure around him to some extent, uh, yeah. to help him. Yeah, yeah, no, like and that's why they got the one seed. Um, so here's my theory yeah. with Aiden. Here's my theory with Aiden, and it's it's not even a theory; it's like an actual fact. Um, he doesn't like contact, right? Like he doesn't like to be physical, and he's in the NBA because he's a physical freak. Yeah, so he's the like in the league, pretty much, dude. His combination of size, strength, and athleticism, like, I, I mean, like it's it's up there with like Embiid. Like he's not as agile, but he's definitely more vertical. And he's not he's as stronger, strong. I would think. I don't think he's stronger than Embiid because Embiid, like, the one thing with Aiden is that, like, he's got those big shoulders, but he doesn't have that bulky lower half. So I do think, like, his ability to, like, maybe so. It, uh, but, like, still, he's he's one of these dudes, like, he's one of the most athletic centers in the league. The And he's got great touch. And I think he's one of these guys where it's like, he's got great touch. No one can contest his shots. And he doesn't like contact. So it's like, well, why wouldn't I just take these jump hooks? Like, why wouldn't I take this, like, little yeah. like, mid range jumper? It's like, it's like, dude, because just brutalizing people through sheer force is valuable. It's It's got more benefit than just the points. It racks up free throws. It collapses the defense. It, like, it does things for your teammates that just getting the ball right outside the post and like taking a little like, you know, jumper, don't. And it also then the other- tires opponents out, and it gives you a sort of intangible psychological edge whereas his preference to avoid contact does the opposite right it gives yes. op- opponents uh that edge right yeah, there's, so there's, and yeah it's just like it's and then the other thing is he is one of these dudes where it's so clear he's got the the mental visual spatial processing that makes guys incredible basketball players the ability to like see the whole court, remember where everyone is, right? Like this is not like an actual like, oh, like he's stupid. He's not a smart person thing. This is like a very specific type of intelligence that you see a lot of incredible basketball players possessing, right? Like Jokic is one of them, right? Where it's like he can see the whole court without seeing the whole court. It's like he's got like a mental map of where everyone is and he kind of just knows where all the pieces are moving based upon everything. Aiton does not have any semblance of a mental map when he gets the ball. I saw him get an offensive rebound and he caught it and like he paused and kind of panicked for a second and like looked around to like find an open guy. And I'm like, dude, like you should know where people are and you should be able to find them quicker. And so I think the combination of like, if you don't have that like mental mapping and spatial awareness to be a very, like to understand where all the chess pieces are, you got to be a physically dominant player and Aiton has the tools to be a physically dominant player. He just doesn't want to. So he's a very, very, very frustrating player. And we were saying it for ages, like, why the fuck are you giving him this big contract? Blah, blah, blah. But like, people talk about the Suns having four stars. They have two stars. And that's the problem. Paul is old. And now he's hurt. Aiton is not a star. Not even close to being a star. I don't, like, where is he rank in terms of centers league-wide? Right. Like I know people put him up there because the, the field goal percentage is good. The dude gets a lot of like easy looks because he plays next to great players. Right. Like I, like he's he's not good enough to be the third or fourth guy. No, I on this, on this gonna, team. I'm just going to pull up the standings and look through teams and count where I think. So. OK, 
here I'm just gonna can I just rattle off teams that I think have a better starting center than uh DeAndre Ayton? Yes, yes, yes. I'll do it and you count them. Right. Uh I'm gonna first of all, right off the bat, I'm not gonna count Time Lord because I'm gonna count health as a factor. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, okay. Uh the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes. The Philadelphia 76ers. Definitely, definitely. The Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yep. The New York Knicks. Ooh, are we going with Mitch Robinson over him? Yeah, I'll take Mitch Robinson over DeAndre Aiden. Man, he's become one of the best interior defenders in the league by now. Yeah, okay. I'll, I would too, but um, I could see some people pushing back because like... I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, But I'm, I, I I, wouldn't you would, so it counts. Uh, Brooklyn Nets. Yes. Claxton, yes. Claxton, yes. Uh, Atlanta Hawks. I'm not quite sure. That one's a little yeah. tough. No, All Capella right. Capella's great, dude. Capella's yeah, I think Robinson's awesome. better than Capella, so yeah, Cape- Capella's great. And also Anyeka yeah. on Kong Anyeka on Kongwu, like how much worse is he than Aiden? So at this point we're we're, 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 we're it's gonna be most teams, dude. We're at six teams. Yeah, we can't. We're at six teams, and here's the thing is that you haven't even said the nuggets, so I'm gonna make seven. Well, I'll just go through the Eastern Conference, right? So okay, we'll, yeah. we'll save that one. We'll save that one then. Yeah. All right. The Miami Heat, obviously. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. I'll take a bam yeah. over him. Okay. Now it starts to get the the Raptors. No, I, no. I really like Jakob Pertle. I don't think he's better than DeAndre Ayton. It's close, but I it's don't think close. so. Here's the thing: it's close enough if that, based upon the money that Pertle's going to get paid compared to what yes, that's paid, I, I agree taking, with that. You're taking Pertle, but yeah, I agree. I think I yeah. think it's close enough, and we've been. We've been clowning him enough that we got to give him a few a few benefits. Exactly. The gotta, if, if, if there's any doubt, we got to give him the benefit. Yeah, of the doubt, we got to right? give. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Bulls. To me, Aiden by now shits on Nikola Vucevic personally. Yeah, I think in the aggregate he's better, but um, I also think that like, unlike Aiden, I think you could build a decent offense around Vuce in a way you could. That's true. That Aiden. is true. But like, yeah. once again, there's some doubt, so let's just give it to him. Yeah. All right. The Indiana Pacers. I'm taking Turner. Yeah, I think most people are taking Turner. Yeah. Uh, the Wizards. Does Porzingis count as your center right now? Yeah, Porzingis are def- is definitely a well, center. Well, I'll, I'll take Porzingis. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. Every, everyone yeah. should. Okay, so what? Yeah, exactly. Nine. I just wasn't sure if we were thinking Daniel Gadford was Porzingis at the four. I didn't watch the Wizards very much this year. So uh, the, the, Wizards, the Wizards did that thing where they actually legitimately just played two sets. Right, okay. All right, now we got the Orlando Magic. I got to take Aiden over Carter Jr. Uh, and then the Hornets and the Pistons. So... Aiden over all those guys. So okay, so we have seven teams in the Western. No, we got to nine teams that we said yes, and then two maybes where we're like, this is close in the East, and then the bottom we're like, no. Let's whiz through the West. Nuggets. Yes. Yeah. Grizzlies. No. I'll take Aiden over Stephen Adams. I I think he's got. I think he's got a deeper offensive bag. I think. I think he can score around the rim more easily. I wouldn't. I would. I here's the thing. I would 100% take Stephen Adams over DeAndre in Damn. ten times out of ten, and Triple J could be considered a center. So I'm saying. Well, if you count on Triple J, he's much better. I'd, he can't yeah. play center, so I'm just gonna put a check right down there for the Grizzlies. Yeah, all right, because they have two maybe. Well, no, they have, yeah, they have right, one definitely, and they have one other well, definitely. But you, I, the but, only reason I would call Jackson a maybe is because I see him as their starting power forward. You know, even I mean, though like, I would probably play him at the five, but I, I'm a modern basketball guy. So all yeah. right. Uh, Clippers, I'm gonna go with no. Yeah, I mean, I like Zubac, but uh, Same, but, yeah. but yeah, Warriors are gonna also go with no. Yeah, I like Looney, but yeah, he's as we said earlier, like he looks way better than he would be on just about any other team. Yeah, Lakers, I'm gonna go with yes. I'm gonna consider AD the five. He's AD the five is when the it five. matters. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Timberwolves. 
Timberwolves, yeah. yes. yes. Yes, yes. They have two guys that are centers that are better. Exactly. Pelicans, I'm going to go no, I think. I mean, it's close. It's closer than it should be because Valanchunas, like that dude, like he's the thing. Valanchunas, opposite of Aiden. Like you give him the rock, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking kill this dude. I don't care who they are. Um, let's just say no, benefit of the doubt, but I'm just putting yep. a, a maybe down. Thunder, no. Mavericks, we'll about, no. Yeah, we'll see about Chet, but yeah, both those are no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jazz, I don't know, man. I, I, Walker I think Kessler. Oh, I think Aiden's better right now, but like, Walker Kessler probably will be better by next year or the year after, though. I'm going to put a maybe for the Jazz, but yeah. Yeah. I'll, we'll give it to him. Uh, Trailblazers, no. I really don't like Nurkic. Nurkic uh, is falling off. Rockets, Spurs, no. Garuba? Come on. He's better than him here. now. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Okay, let me just do the quick math. Okay, we have 13 yeses, and we have four maybes so we're looking at like deandre ayton their star like is anywhere between you know the 10th to like 20th best center in the league based upon like that's not a star that's not a star player yeah yeah it's not i mean like like it's it's i mean that's one of the issues um you know he's just they're gonna trade him i think um so do i I yeah. think I think they're off season if they if they if they bow out, which is you know they could always come back right they they have they have two incredible players and Booker's been great Durant was horrible last night and there's a concerning trend now with Durant yeah um, where he if, used to be a playoff riser and now he's starting to be a playoff uh, dropper a little it's, bit it's one of those things where like if teams are allowed to get really really physical with them he's as he's gotten older he's not been able to handle that quite as well and. Yeah. He's old. Last, He's quite old. Yeah, because last night, like, I'm telling you this, like, I, I, there was a moment in the third quarter, the Suns were, I believe, up. And I was like, fuck, the Nuggets are going to win this game. And it was like when Durant or Aiden got, like, their fourth or fifth foul. And I was just like, this is the problem with the, the Suns. Like, they're, like, they're out here staying in this game, competing, because they're playing real physical, and they're being disciplined about not sending guys to the line as much as they could. They're racking up fouls, and like, it's the thing is like it's not even like oh Aiton or KD or Booker fouled out. Like if that happens, you're fucked. But their defense was working because they were playing aggressive and physical. And as soon as you get in like foul trouble, and you're one of those guys, and you can't afford to foul out, your defense is going to fall apart. And like that's kind of what happened. And like that's that's kind of what I saw. And then obviously Paul getting injured really fucking boned them because like he had moments where like he was you know. Paul gives you what you need in between Booker being awesome and KD being awesome. And he gives it to you in enough spurts that like you can live with the fact he's not the player he once was. But man, like the Suns team, it's just like, you know, they they went all in on KD. And I think they kind of I think they underrated how important Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson were to like them being good and overrated how good Aiden was. But like it's kind of no surprise that like they basically like. I'm sure they offered Aiden as Probably, part of the yeah. deal to try. And, to well, and the Nets would have said, "Well, we we have a better center already, so we're not we're not interested, right?" And he's on Plus, like actually, one third the deal. Actually, the Nets legally could not have taken Aiden because you can't have two players on a rookie max, which made a lot of trades complicated this year, right? Now, they could have probably made a three team happen, but who wants Ben Simmons? So, like, it would have been difficult, right? God, yeah. 
Okay. Let's uh let's maybe we should wrap it up, do you think? Yes. One more thing I want to talk about. So if you're the Suns, you're looking at this game and you're saying we lost Chris Paul. Durant had a horrible game. If neither of those two things happen, you know, we only lost by 10. This game was close until the fourth quarter when the the Nuggets closed the game on a really good run. Like, we could have won this game. And I would say yes. But Michael Porter Jr. was 2 of 7 in 23 minutes. Jamal Murray was 3 of 15 in 39 minutes. Those two guys combined for 15 points, which is like Michael Porter Jr.'s like regular season average. So realistically, those guys, the Nuggets got like 20 points less from those two guys than they usually get. And the reason it all worked out, in my opinion, is obviously Contavious Caldwell-Pope, insane game, 4-4 from three-point range. But it's Bruce Brown, man. Bruce Brown has been so fucking good for the Nuggets all season. And he's been incredible in the playoffs for him. He was plus 12, 2-5 from the field. Five of six from the free throw line, right? He tied Gordon for the most free throw attempts of the Nuggets. One assist, four rebounds, one block, no turnovers. Bruce Brown has been, like, he's he's going to be one of these dudes where I think he's got a player option. And, like, if you're the Nuggets, you're going, fuck. We, like, because, like, if I'm the Nuggets, like, we got to win this championship this year because I don't know if we can keep Bruce Brown. And, like, he's a real important fucking piece to this team. But, like, that's, to me, the difference in this series between these two teams is that, like, you got a great game from Devin Booker. Nikola Jokic canceled that out. So then it's like, okay, well, we have KD, we have Chris Paul, we have Aiton. Like, those three guys can do more than the rest of the the Nuggets roster. And then you throw in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. having clunkers. You're like, you you look at that, you'd say, going if you just were told those things, you'd say, the Suns are going to win that game. And they didn't. And it's because... Bruce Brown's really good. Christian Braun does some good things. Fucking Contavious Caldwell-Pope does good things. Aaron Gordon, criminally underrated all season. The, the, like, the Nuggets don't even... like. This is the thing that I think is being overlooked. The Nuggets don't actually have great depth. Like, they have six, seven guys, six guys that are real good. A seventh guy in Christian Brown, who doesn't know how to fucking spell his name. I want to ask him which one of his fucking illiterate family members came over here <laughs> and fucking decided Braun was Brown. They have like seven, six guys that are good, seven guys that they can trust. And like their question was, are they deep enough? And they're out here and their bench is absolutely killing Phoenixes, right? Like, like, hey man, in in in, the, in this year of the NBA where parity is so high, you're gonna win and lose games by the bench. And I, I don't know, man, like Phoenix might have just made the wrong swing at the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I, let me say this. I think Phoenix, like, they need, they still need an offseason. It's kind of like Dallas with Kyrie Irving, too, right? Yeah. Uh, now they got to hope they can retain Irving, but that's a whole separate discussion. But, <laughs> like, like they need, it's like, it was the move before the moves. Like, they got their guy. Now they need to solidify it and bring in, like, their Bruce Browns and it's, et cetera, right? Maybe Dylan Brooks. Who knows? Uh, It's like, they took a big swing, but the hope for Phoenix is that, Durant doesn't decline because he's friggin' old, man, you know? So, like, yeah, this could go down as the move that, like, 
tanked this era of Suns basketball. I still think they had to give it a try, though. I still think, like, you're in a, you're in a position to trade for Kevin Durant. You can't very well say, like, I think we're good with Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson, like, as good as those guys are, you know? I, but here's the thing. You say that. Who's been one of the five best players in these playoffs? On the Suns? Uh, Devin Booker. Yeah. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's like, you have a guy who's young, in his in his early prime, that's this good. You have Mikel Bridges, who's like 27, still in his prime for the next few seasons. Five seasons, probably. Cam Johnson, similar situation. DeAndre Ayton, maybe he gets better, but, you know, he's got a contract and a pedigree that you could probably flip him for, like, multiple pieces that make sense. You had all your first-round picks prior to Durant. You have Chris Paul going into the final year of a deal that's not completely guaranteed, so you can basically get off that contract. Like, they went all in for now, and I always understand that, and Kevin Durant is the type of player that you go all in for because you have to because he's that good. But part of me just looks at this like, you know, the Nuggets are built to compete for three, four, five more years, right? Maybe not the highest level for five, but like, you know, the next three seasons, they're going to be in the mix. The Grizzlies probably aren't going anywhere, right? Like, I don't know. It's just like, you looked like you had a core of young players in their prime where they're going to be really, you're going to be a good team if you make the right moves and you have those draft assets. It's like, I don't know. I, I think what I keep seeing is that like, big swings aren't working as well as they used to. Yeah, that might be, that might be true. And part of it is big swings never really work as as much as we like to think, right? Like the Drew Holiday trade was a big swing and the Bucks won a championship. Okay, fine. AD, big swing, Lakers won a championship. What are the, like those teams both, like they've won one championship out of those things. And it's like, that's what a lot of these big swings kind of like equate to. It's like you get one championship because you have to give up so much. And it's like, is it worth it? Because you go look at the big swings that the Timberwolves took. You go look at the big swings, the big swing that the Hawks took. Like, well, okay, but hold on. First of all, every swing is not equal, right? So it depends on like, <clears throat> did you swing for the guy that you actually needed? Like, Gabriel Holiday was the missing piece for the Bucks to win a title, right? Yeah. AD was a good co-star for LeBron. That made enough sense, right? I mean, AD Whereas, might have been the star, to be completely yeah. honest. Right, but on the other hand, uh, moving Cat to the four because he can't defend at the five was always extremely boneheaded, and Gobert was always the wrong player for the Timberwolves to get. So you got to take the right swing. But I, I do think what you're saying has a lot of merit, though. And what I think is this. Traditionally or usually, the best formula is you get your best player like organically, usually through the draft, right? Or you or like unearth a diamond, you know, kind of thing thing in a trade or whatever like, then, uh, like chris middleton yeah right exactly so so you, you come across like the bulk of your core organically and then that last piece it tends to be the swing i think that's how it tends to work you know what i mean it's like we are already a really good team and now with this swing we put the final touch on a championship team but the suns were like not really having that great of a season and then they traded yeah. for kevin durant you know and it's like yeah, and they traded I mean, away the missing pieces that they needed to win a championship, right? Like, yeah, to get so, the but that's final why this, piece, summer, this summer they could still salvage it, though. I think they can, but it's just, it's one of those things where I, I go, 
like I understand why every team makes that move, but I also just think to myself, if you're in the position they're in, where it's like, hey, we're not a championship contender this season, but we have the ability to build around a core and be a very good team for the next few seasons, and then the assets to add that final piece, I go, okay, cool. It, but it's like another issue I think that might be the case is that getting superstar players is getting more and more expensive. And with that, it means there's more and more risk when you go in for them. And it might just be at this stage that like making the big trade isn't actually worth it anymore. Like the market has gotten so insane that trading for a superstar with years on their deal just isn't worth it anymore. I mean, like go look at, go look at Cleveland. Like, yeah, like they trade for Donovan Mitchell and they just desperately needed someone, some competent three and D guy. Didn't have to be a good guy, just competent. Like either they could hit shots, they could just hit shots. Like that's all they really need. A guy who could kind of hit shots. And they had no, they couldn't go get anyone at the trade deadline. Like it's yeah, they, yeah, because they have nothing left. You're right. It's like, like as a guy who writes fake trades for a living, I hate when my editor gives me Cleveland trades because I'm like, they don't have the assets to do anything. Like, I, like they can maybe get Royce O'Neal this summer or something like that, you know. Yeah. But, but like they're they they don't they cannot do much, man. That the Nets would need to like see something in Ike Okoro and be willing to take on a few second round picks with him, you know, like. Exactly. Like that's, like, and that's that's like, you know, you're getting desperate, right? <clears throat> so yeah. yeah, no, I or even the I Bucks, agree with what you're saying. Even the Bucks, they made the big trade for Drew Holiday and like every addition they've had to make since then has been like bargain bin free agent and some of them have worked out or like trading a bunch of second round picks, right? Like like you like they went all in. They like they went all in and then now it's like what are people talking about with the Bucks? This roster's getting old, they have no way to really upgrade it. Like do they just trade everyone off they kind of have to extend middleton who has a ton of leverage they have to extend brooke lopez who's 30 fucking five drew holidays 32 and it's just like are we are they yeah, but, being serious but they got the ring baby and that's what it's all about because what's the problem right now they they can't get a ring it's like well they already got a ring so like it was worth it for a team like milwaukee you know no, and I, i'm not saying it wasn't worth it for them but i'm saying it's like for the Suns, where you're adding it midseason, and as you're saying, they need yeah. an offseason to sort the rock the roster out. It's like, yo, like maybe this wasn't maybe they shouldn't have made that trade, right? Like it, it's just like part of me wonders, it's like maybe you shouldn't acquire superstar players midseason, not because of chemistry, not because of all this other stuff, but it's because it's gonna gut your depth and you're gonna need a offseason to flush out the roster anyway. So it's just like shit. We like we went all in, and basically by going all in, we wasted this chance when we're all in because we went all in too soon. You know what I'm saying? It's weird, right? I do know. I do know what you're saying. We we should go. We've been going a long time. We're done. Okay. This was above the break, episode fifty-two playoff pardon for Harden at the Garden and Rocky Mountain Rock fight. As always, this was Nevin Brown. I was joined by James Piercy. Thanks for joining. Yes, remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, and check us out on Substack. I've been getting up a bunch of good stuff. I swear it's good. You can subscribe to that. All of our podcasts um, have a written companion, so if you subscribe to it, you'll get an email after every podcast with 
links to videos, a little bit of written stuff, and a link to the full episode if you want to listen to it. One stop shopping. I think they're I think they're useful. James, have you even looked at them before? Are you even subscribed to our Substack? Because like you know, we gotta we gotta we gotta bulk up those numbers, the subscriber numbers. Yeah, I'll go take care of that this afternoon. I, uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've been busy, man. When the Newfoundland Rogues season concludes, I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll be a little less busy. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so go check that out. I've been getting out um, small sample size uh, playoff um, looks, right? So just looking at like every team's advanced metrics through their first round series and kind of what they show and tell us about the team. I haven't gotten to the Lakers and the Warriors and they play tonight, so I might try to whip out a, a kind of a, a series preview in a similar vein. Um, so sorry, Warriors, Lakers fans. It's just not enough series. Like the series like didn't break right in terms of like they like they either all ended in like the same day and then yeah. Also, yeah. like yeah, you know, just shit happens. But anyways, we'll be back hopefully in quicker than like the amount of time it took us to get this one up. Playoffs are great. Keep enjoying it. We'll be back soon i'm not gonna say next week soon go rogues and peace peace